like coming to Hope because we get to sing, we can dance. I like the animals and craft time. I look forward to playing with my friends and playing outside. I like the skits. They're just funny and entertaining. Bartholomew, Hey Thomas, Matthew James, come follow. I like the, the Hey Ho Time to Go song. I like the one where it, it does the gritty in it. I like the train one. Um, I really like like the one that was like, hey, oh, time to go. No, she don't. All of them. Here's the deal. He's got a lot of love and it's for real. He walked along the shores in Galilee, telling his disciples, come follow. Um, tomorrow I'm bringing a friend. Yes. Yes. Who is it? Jack. He's right there. Well, I'm mine, Jack. Who would you bring? Ryan. So Asher brought Ryan and Ryan brought Jack? <laughs> Is that how it works? Yes, I brought one today. Yes. Who's your friend? Zen. But I might bring one tomorrow. Hey, oh, time to go. Hey, oh. It's important to invite people to VBS because more and more people can know who God is then. To so then you learn more about Jesus and God. This one I think will definitely stick from today, Joshua and Jericho. I think it's just a cool Bible story. Um, so that people that don't have enough food for this summer can we donate the food so then they can have more food. Hey front bro, hey back bro, he's calling, come follow. Okay. Hey all kids, it's Jesus, he's calling, come follow. Okay. Matthew 419, time to follow. Giddy up, let's roll. I see the rest of you didn't get the wear your helmet to church memo. <sighs> I was Buzz flashlight for like two weeks. Uh, VBS this year and also last year. Um, and so that's actually why I'm wearing my VBS t-shirt as well. Um, because it's fun to have two weeks where one, you don't have to think about your wardrobe. You wake up and like, all right, I'm wearing the same shirt again. Although I had two, so I rotated them and they're clean. So don't think this is like two weeks worth of shirt. Um, but I get to be an, a complete fool for two whole weeks. Sometimes I just, I have to marvel at it when I watch the kids and I think, yeah, this is my job for two weeks. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what does it mean to be undignified in our faith and in our lives. Um, and if there's not a better example than VBS, I don't know what there is. Uh, and so I want to challenge you a bit today. We're going to get a bit uncomfortable in a way too, because uh, I think for many of us, we probably become a little bit more comfortable in our faith than challenged in our faith and how to share it. But I thought I'd even begin though by starting off like, who am I? Because uh, many of you, uh, if you've come into Hope in the last few years, I don't often get to do this on Sunday mornings. I'm usually our online guy, so I, I uh, am online hosting or I'm out uh, visiting folks uh, that worship online. Uh, but it's nice to be here. I love being a part of this. It's been a while. So uh, we're all doing this together. We're in this together. Are we good with that? All right. Uh, but I started at Hope. It's been 23 years, believe it or not. Uh, I started in student ministry uh, way, 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 way back in 1999. I, and uh, here was my prayer, because I did student ministry for a long time. And my prayer about when God would transition me into something else went basically like this. Dear God, please don't let me be the guy that stayed too long at the party. And what I meant by that was, you all know that moment, like if somebody's like stayed too long, you're like, yeah, you need to go home now. 
I always prayed in my ministry, I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to continue to do student ministry as long as I felt called to do so and felt effective to be able to do the ministry that God had called me to do. Well, here's, the, here's how it kind of played out. Uh, I stopped being cool at age 25, but nobody told me until I turned 40. So all this time I'm doing student ministry and I'm absolutely loving it. I loved hanging out with students and see God come alive in their faith. Uh, but over time, I started to recognize that while I was still effective and still loved being a part of it, my passion for it was changing. I no longer loved the 21-hour bus rides coming back from Florida like I used to. And so the party was starting to wind down and I kept saying to God, where am I going to go next? And how can I transition into something new that I feel like you're calling me to do? Well, our online ministry, we started broadcasting out to the world. And it fascinated me that there were people worshiping with hope that had not, maybe some of them, ever been into one of our buildings. And one of the core values that actually brought me to hope in 1999 was lost people matter to God and so they matter to us. I wanted to know who these people were. And so I started kind of getting to know our online ministry folks. And I had this crazy idea, and I still to this day wonder, why did I think of that? Although it's a God thing. Uh, I wanted to say hi to them. Like, they were just basically worshiping with us online, and we had no idea who they were, and they didn't really necessarily know who we were. So I talked our leadership into allowing me to put a webcam up in that room up there. Um, And uh, they gave me Ash Wednesday noon service, which was low risk. Like, I couldn't mess this up, all right? There might have been all of like 12 people watching at this time. And they turned on the camera and somebody said to me, Mark, we're live. And I said, hi, welcome to Hope. We're so glad you're here. We've been praying for you. And things changed. People are like, wow, they know that we're here. And then some of them reached out to us and said, hey, what would it look like if we did worship where we live? I'm like, all right. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even know if I could give them permission to do so, but they could do it without our permission, even if they wanted to. So I said, why not? And so our first local site was born in Forest City, Iowa, which is actually where I had my first call in ministry. But they got together in a YMCA, turned on the stream and started worshiping. It was awesome. They absolutely loved it. And it grew. I mean, God was doing some amazing things, so much so that somebody in Ames reached out to me and said, hey, Mark, what would it look like? And so then Ames was born. At this point, I kind of had to get a feeling of what this truly was, because Ames would eventually become a campus of hope. Well, fast forward, we've launched several local sites. Right now, we have a local site in Forest City still in Clear Lake. Uh, We have one in Iowa City. We have one in Bondurant. We have one in Panora and in Kansas City and Omaha. We had one in Winterset for a while, and we're going to be launching another one yet this fall. I don't want to be a spoiler, so I don't want to tell you where it is, But this past weekend, um, people were driving really, really fast in a circle there. You can work that out. I love to do what I do. I love being able to say yes. And I love that it's kind of new and different and people are alive. I mean, these are all volunteer-led. If you've ever been to one of our local sites, they are a riot because these are volunteers. These are folks like you who sat here one day and said, I want to be church. But they just don't live close enough to us to be able to drive in all the time. So God is on the move there. And it is so fascinating to be a part of that. And to do things like that, you have to take a little bit of risk. I mean, to be church in a new way, we have to be able to step out there in faith. So that's exactly why I think this story today from 2 Samuel is important. Talking about being undignified in our faith. 
We have to be be willing to risk something sometimes for the good news. David uh, is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. It had kind of bounced around a little bit. He was bringing it back to a tent that he had prepared uh, in his city. And David did a crazy thing. He decided he was so moved by what God was up to in his life and so moved by the things that God was doing in in the area, he decided to basically get into his priestly tunic. You can make of that what you will, but this was an artist's rendering that I found of it of somebody that was there that day. Um, I don't know. We don't really know. No, nobody really knows. I mean, you can, it's, it was, he wasn't wearing much. We'll just go with that. And he was dancing around. This was the king of Israel. The king was dancing around like a fool in front of the Ark of the Covenant because he just absolutely loved that God was doing something amazing. But there was also something underneath this if you go further in the scripture. David was setting an example of what it could look like to really truly give God praise. When was the last time you danced for God? Now I'm gonna stop for a moment and put danced in quotation marks because some of you out here should not dance. That is not one of your spiritual gifts. Others of you, dancing is a life passion of yours and you should do that. This kid, no thank you. But there are a lot of things that we can do, the ways we can dance for God that too often, if we're honest, we choose not to do because we're human. We care what people think. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. We don't want to keep it safe, play within the rails, if you will. This is fascinating to me. Like I said, I did student ministry for a long time. There's a phenomenon that happens, and you watch it in VBS. The five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-olds, they come in all the way up through our fifth graders, and they're excited. They're jumping around. They're having a blast with God. Then this thing called junior high happens, where things start to change, and you start to become a little more self-conscious, and you become a little bit more aware of your surroundings and people, and you're like, man, I'm going to tone it down a bit. Fast forward, and then pretty soon we start adulting. And when we adult, we become important. We don't have time for those childish things anymore. I've got important things to do. Don't you know that I'm important? I'm doing really cool stuff. And we become hands in pocket people. This is all metaphor, okay? But this is the transition we go through. And is it any wonder that our faith becomes a little less obvious to the people around us? But let's allow David to be our example for a moment. David honestly didn't care in that moment what others would think. Do you? David didn't care. He's dancing around because he is jubilant. He is just on fire in a very cool way. What does that look like for us? We're self-conscious people. I went through a season of my life growing up where my hair was a big deal. I'm now at the age that I call, can we trim your eyebrows for you, sir, age. (laughs) And I don't have much going on up top anymore. So I don't spend a lot on haircuts, but there was a time in my life where I spent an inordinate amount of money on haircuts because my hair was important. I mean, the late 80s, I was spending like 25 bucks on a haircut. That's how important my hair was. All right, are we there? So let's go through a little progression of, because I did this because I thought my hair defined me. I thought it would make me cool. So in eighth grade, there was a show on called Growing Pains. You might remember it. Kirk Cameron had a perm. Curly hair. Don't know whether it was natural or not. So I 
got a perm. Now, ironically enough, that just came back. <laughs> it's funny. Woo, here we are again. Uh, but I got a perm. Now, here's the thing about a perm. You can't undo that. <laughs> you can't wake up the next day and go, I'm going to wash that out. Nope. We were stuck with it. And I made it cool. I'm telling you, my eighth grade self was walking down the halls of my junior high, thought I was the coolest ever. I wasn't. But I thought that's what I needed to fit in was this cool perm. Fast forward to ninth grade. I call this the bowl cut sun-in year. You all remember sun-in? Those of you that are old enough or those of you that are young enough, sun-in was this bottle of stuff. You would squirt in your hair and I wanted to be blonde. And so I decided since I was, uh, it was a summer, I was going to play a lot of tennis outdoors. There were courts right across my from my house in Indianola. I kid you not, I'm sorry, hair professionals, if there are any of you in here right now, you might want to plug your ears. I squirted two full bottles of sun in into my hair. And then I went and played like eight hours of tennis. My hair was fried, but it was blonde and I looked cool. That's like the equivalent of going to the pool every day all summer in one day. It was nasty. <laughs> oh my golly. But like I said, I was self-conscious. I wanted to look cool. Which brings me to sophomore year. The beginning of the mullet. <laughs> and I'm not going to show you a picture because I don't want that image to distract you for the rest of this service. But let's just say I had the business on top party in the back going in full display. But my mullet was different in that it would, like on the back, part of it would curl under and the other part would curl up and out. We can't have that. I was self-conscious. So I had my mom teach me how to curl my hair. For those of you in here that that's a daily ritual, I salute you. You are playing with fire every single day. And I burned the back of my neck more often than I care to admit. But I had to look cool. And I rocked that mullet for two whole years. I have my senior picture in that mullet because I was super proud of it. And I thought I was cool. But that doesn't make us cool. Whatever that is for you, whatever you've tried to do to fit in over time. I mean, we adults don't do that anymore, right? I think we do. Because we too often care about what people think. Even in our faith, I think we care about what people think. I mean, how often do you allow your faith to be on display? How often do you allow people to know who you are and what you do about God? One of the ways that comes out in play for me is when I golf. Sometimes I like to go out and golf by myself and I'll join up with people. And a funny thing happens about hole four or hole five. They'll finally get around to asking the question of me, so Mark, what do you do? <laughs> this is always fun in probably a weird way in my brain. I say, oh, I work for a church. And then I watch to see what happens. Because I wonder, are they going to change the behavior that they are to modify into what they think I want them to be? Because for those first few holes, they were their authentic self on full display with words and everything, if you can imagine it. And the fun part of me is always like, oh man, I'm so sorry for what I was talking about. My joke back to them is always, it's not me you have to worry about, so... 
But I love people's authentic selves. I loved when I was in student ministry and got the fortunate opportunity to go into lunchrooms and hang out with kids in their natural habitats. Because you get to see them for who they are. Let me tell you, as a leader who does things in ministry, I really love your authentic self, and so does God. You don't have to be something different because you're hanging out with us. Because here's the truth. We're mostly idiots all the time. Just ask my wife and my children. It's okay to be our authentic self. Because if not, what's going to happen in your faith? Is this going to go into cruise control? Don't you love the cruise control in your car? You can push that if you're going across like Nebraska. (laughs) And you're like, I just need to get to Colorado. That's all I need to do. Cruise control is a great thing. Except in our faith when we start to coast. And we get a little comfortable in our faith. Then it's not out there as much. And let me, let me say, like I said, we're going to get a little bit uncomfortable. You are the bearer of the greatest story ever lived in Jesus Christ. We're called to be bearers of the good news. That is not comfortable. In fact, it can be awkward and uncomfortable and challenging and fear-filling. You know, it's, it's a lot of different things. And what we have a tendency to do in our self-conscious selves is to go into cruise control in our faith and just try and get by on things. We try not to allow people to know that part of us. And no matter where you are in your walk of faith, whether you've been walking with God a long time or this is a new thing for you, we all struggle with this. And that's why this story of David has to matter to us today. And it's easy, I think, let's just talk about right now. It's easy to be in a place like this right now for this hour on Sunday mornings. We're around friends. We're in a place where it's okay to talk about our faith. It's okay to worship. It's okay to sing. I like to think of this as like training. We're on the same team. We're in here. We're in our huddle getting ready to go out there because in a few moments, we're going to have to go back that direction. It's okay to be in here and to be comfortable. It's a lot easier, I think, to be a person of faith in this hour we give to God, hopefully once a week. It's a lot different when it's out there. It's easy even in church to become comfortable. For church to become more of a habit than holy. For church to be more comfortable than convicting. Or for church to be more ritual than revelation. God wants so much more for us. And when you look at the story... There is nothing comfortable about who God is and who God was and who Jesus is and what Jesus did. It was meant to change the world. You can't do that on cruise control. Faith is meant to be shared. There's a story later in Matthew's gospel. And if you're kind of new to the Bible, Matthew is a really, really good one. There's a lot of great stories in there. Jesus talked in parables, which is just a fancy way of helping people understand, a fancy story, to help people understand things of faith. This one in particular, I think, is great for today because it talks about um, a master of the house going away on a trip. And when he did so, he entrusted three of his servants with a portion of his wealth. Uh, sometimes in Scripture, it calls it talents, which is not like I'm good at this. It's, it's more like a, it's still kind of a, a gift sort of a thing. This uh, other translation calls it silver or money. Regardless, one was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. And they had a choice of what to do with it while the master was gone. They were entrusted with this. The one that had five invested it. And those of you that are business-minded, the ROI, the return on investment was five in addition. That's a pretty good ROI. The one that had two invested it and got two back. Once again, a very good ROI. 
The one that had the one got fearful. Have you ever had like the last thing in your house, like the last cookie? That is like the holy grail. Nobody touched that final cookie. You want to savor it for as long as you can. I think this might have been what's going through this servant's mind at this time. I have this one. I don't want to disappoint my master. I don't want to lose this. And so this servant chose to bury it into the ground. Preserve it. And when the master returned, the one that had five came back with ten, said, Master, I have ten. The one that had two came back with four, said, Master, I have four. The one that had the one brought it back and said, I have the one you left me with. And I'll sugarcoat it a bit for, for this moment where Jesus, basically in the telling of the story, said the, the master of the house said, you missed it. You missed out on an opportunity. I entrusted you with this. I would not give it to you unless I knew it was important and I knew that you were the one I wanted to give it to. And instead, you chose to hide it away rather than share it. Like David, we're carriers of the good news. We're called like the servant that had five and the servant that had two to invest that into the world around us. Faith is meant to be shared. It's not meant to keep to ourselves. And sometimes, yes, sometimes that means putting on a helmet for two weeks and being a fool for Christ to bring out the good news. David, at the end of this passage, even says, let me fast forward to this next picture of my son Noah. Yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. This is David being very intentional. I love this picture of Noah because we don't get that face anymore. He's now 17. He's got a J-O-B. You know, he's got to be all professional, you know? So if you can get him to make this face, uh, he actually, he works at a theater near here, just to the south of us. If you're ever there and you see him, he's rather tall. Um, try and get him to do this. I would love for you to take a picture of him. That would be great. Um, but I love that face in him. He was a pirate and he was all in, in that moment. That is a picture of us and what we can be like if we allow God once again to free us up from the things that would hold us back from being bearers of the good news. David was not afraid. He said, I'm willing to be even more humiliated if it'll bring the good news to the people that need to hear it. In fact, the scripture refers to the servant girls that are watching. Uh, his wife, uh, Michal, Michael, whatever, we weren't there. We don't know how it was truly said. But she's looking down and she's like, David, you're embarrassing us and you're being a fool in front of these servant girls. He said, hey, if it gets them to know God... I'm all in with this. If they would see, and they were, they were unfortunately not in, in the class system of life. They weren't a part of the upper echelon. They were servants. If the king was willing to embarrass himself in front of the people in order to win over those who might otherwise be skeptical, who might think church isn't cool, that is the goal. That is it. That's the example. You guys, for two weeks, we got to see kids come in this room and other rooms around at other campuses and just be on fire for God. And you know who was up front and center in this room every single day? Our senior pastor. Show me another megachurch where that person is willing to be that role. And we'd have to drag him off of this stage kicking and screaming because he loves that idea and that job. Because it brings the kids and their families in 
to get to know Jesus. In fact, in fact, Mike will even say, if we get the kids, we get the parents. We're called to be fools for Christ. In whatever way, shape, and form that looks like. I mean, seriously, folks. David was willing to, to strip down and dance around. Like I said, dancing doesn't have to be your thing. But you're going to be called in a moment to go out that direction. And I hope that God is nudging you a bit. Because you have been called to exactly where you are, on purpose, for a purpose. There are people in your work that need to know who Jesus is. There are people in your schools. There are people at your favorite coffee shops. There are people on your travel teams. There are people in a variety of different spaces that you never might know unless you talk about it. Who are open or wondering why it is you would go to that church. Why it is that faith is an important thing to you. And so we're called to dance. God's calling you to dance. And that's easy. Like I said, we're in here. We're amongst friends. I'm ready to go. Here we go. Then you're going to walk out those doors and then the world is going to happen. They're going to look at you again. And our tendency once again is to become a little bit more self-conscious, to become a little more guarded. Because like Michael, David's wife, there are those around you that won't understand why you do what you do. Why are you embarrassing yourself, David? Why are you doing the things you're doing? You're making our family look bad. One of the other things that I get to do is I'm a high school basketball referee. Done it for about 20 years. Uh, maybe some of you in here have, been the, have had the fortune of being on the court with me at, a various, at some points in time. That's actually a picture of my son Noah, the one that was just the pirate. We were refereeing some third grade basketball. I'm excited to bring him into this. I love the fact that he was willing to referee with me. It's a great father-son moment in third grade basketball. But I've heard my fair share of things over the years of doing basketball. That's over the back, you idiot. What are you making that call for? I've heard it. Some of you have probably yelled it. <laughs> Once again, we'll talk about that behavioral you know, correction moment. When I walk in the gym and I've got the stripes on, a real con little thing starts to like, wait a minute. When I'm out of context and I'm at your gym... Can we yell at the pastor? <laughs> There's a part of my brain that really, really thinks that's fun. And yes, you can. I'm big enough. I have heard it all. And trust me, you know about this much. I have to take a test every single year. I get evaluated by people that tell me some things that I need to work on. And I'm so thankful that I have mentors in my life like Pete and Bob and Doug that help shape me into a better version of my refereeing because I do this not for you, parents. I don't do this for you. I do it for the kids that step on the court every single time. And I want them to have a great game in whatever way possible. And let me tell you, public service announcement, a lot more referees look like me than they do like my son Noah. And we need more people like my son Noah doing this. So when you're out on your weekends, whether it's the baseball field or the basketball court or the soccer pitch, whatever it is, knock it off. Sorry, is that pretty strong? It is, for a purpose. Get, here's the thing. Get upset. I don't mind that. Because I'm the first one to tell you that I've made a lot of mistakes. How many of you have had a call you made on the evening news? Just this past year. It was fun. It was the right call, I believe. However, some of you didn't think it was the right call. And you let me know about it. That's okay. At the end of the day, it's just a game. 
At the end of the day, this is the most important message we can share. And even if people are going to detract you from it, even people are going to try and dissuade you from doing it, we're called to be bearers of the good news. Paul would even go on to say, you know, consider it a, a joy that you get mocked for this. Consider it a joy that you get humiliated. Because that means you're stirring the pot. You're making people uncomfortable because that's where transformation can happen. Then and only then can we begin to open up to the things that God would want us to do because we're called to let our light shine. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about, you know, we don't want to put our light under a bushel where we're going to get extinguished. We're called to let it shine. In whatever way God is calling you. Those kids were letting it shine. We adults can learn a lot from them. We really, truly can. Because they're not embarrassed to talk about it. They don't care about the songs. Even though we adults might be a little tired of them after two weeks. They think they're the best ever. Somewhere along the line, we stop being impressed by that. And we start becoming too cool for that. We got to let this shine because the world out there is hungry for it. They want to know it. They want to believe that it's possible to live a different story and a better life. You are God's plan A for that. Each and every single one of you is God's plan A. And you'll never know where that might occur. Paul will say it like this, for I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. He would go on to say, for it is the power to save. The good news has the power to save. You don't have to worry about you being responsible for somebody being saved. God does that. Allow the word to go out. In Corinthians, it'll say, when you send out the word, it does not come back void. Just be a bearer of the good news and allow God to do the rest of the work. And it'll happen at places where you at least expect it. Let's go back to basketball for a moment this past season. I was in the locker room pregame. And I won't tell you where because that doesn't matter. But I was talking with the athletic director and he was telling us a story uh, about how um, they would put food into lockers on Friday afternoons because some kids wouldn't have enough to eat that weekend. And they would sneak it in because they didn't want the kids to feel stigmatized for the fact that they were getting food. And I asked him kind of what they would put in there and he gave me some ideas of stuff and he said, yeah, but our supplies are running kind of low. And guess what we were doing about this time? The Super Bowl food drive. And this particular school district wasn't on our list of approved places yet. But this is what I love about us. We don't care, right? We've got food. You gave so crazily generously. We sent a truckload with one of our volunteers out there. And so that's just that. That's why we do this. Always be prepared, Scripture will say, to give an answer for the hope you have. Be prepared for it. I was in my stripes. I was there and we were talking, but I don't stop being a follower of God just because they give me a whistle. It is kind of fun. (laughs) We're still bearers of the good news. And we've forged a relationship now with that district. Now I think they're on our list, right, Kathy? They will be. So, because it matters. I'm not ashamed. And if you're worried like, man, I don't know if I'm going to know what to say in that moment, let me give you another great piece of advice because like I said, I'm mostly an idiot all the time. I've said this more often than I care to admit. I say, God, give me the words because I don't know what to say. And God will. It's not like God says, oh, good luck with that. I hope it works out. No. 
God will surprise you in ways you might not even imagine at times. You'll be prompted to tell a story you haven't told in decades. And it's going to be the right story to connect with that person's heart to say, I can relate to that. And what is this about the God that told you that? God can open up doors for you that you, not, you didn't even believe were possible if you just allow God to begin to do his work. And I promise you, it will happen. And you'll come back to me later and say, yeah, I said this. I never thought about that. But it was amazing when God does that. We have to be open to it. To go metaphorical again, like David, we have to strip ourselves down a little bit to be open to what God can do. To take off some of the things we put on that guard us. To be open to God leading us a little bit again. Like we're going to be led in a few moments out that door, back out into the world. God's calling you exactly where you are, on purpose for a purpose. You don't have to be a person that stands up in front and speaks word out of your face on a Sunday morning. In fact, sometimes you can get in places that we can't. You can bring the good news into spaces that a pastor doesn't always get into. That's on purpose. We're better together. We're better because you get called to do this. We're better as a church. We extend our reach beyond our borders to places like Liberia, where we have folks right now this morning who just did church. And because of your generosity over the years and through our missions, we were able to help them upgrade from, if you remember from Pastor Mike's sermon a little while ago, maybe a month or so ago, and if not, let me refresh you. There's an orphanage in Liberia where a gentleman in our church who's been an usher for us for a couple years uh, asked us, hey, would you be able to help us out? We want to form a hope site over in Liberia. I'm like, yes, why not? This is great. This is what I love what to do. But they were worshiping on an iPad with like over 100 people. So imagine if this whole section was worshiping and all you had to see was an iPad this far away. As of this morning, they have their equipment up on the walls. They have a generator. They have a new Wi-Fi system and a computer. And they were able to, they had two TVs on the wall. And Pastor Aaron over there is thrilled because there are more kids and families are going to get to come in and hear the good news at whatever we're going to call them. We're not sure yet. Hope Local Liberia, Hope Liberia. We're not sure. The name doesn't matter. God's on the move. Who cares what we call it? We just are fortunate we get to do it. You're a part of that. You are a part of that. That's awesome. That's like getting to start on the basketball team, you know, even though you might be down deep on the bench. God's calling you in. I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. So we're going to go into training a little bit. We're going to get ourselves ready to go. Is that cool? So we're going to sing. And this is going to be a moment where like, we're, like when you're an athlete or you're a dancer or you're whatever you do, it's good to stretch before you go and do the thing you do or else if you're 49, you might pull things. Not always good. I tore my meniscus a couple years ago because I'm not always the spry chicken I used to be. So we're going to get ready. We're going to sing. And let me just get uncomfortable with you for a moment. If your posture in singing is still kind of hands in pockets, that's, that's okay. There's no guilt here, Okay. But if God's starting to kind of like, you know, pull your hand out of your pocket a little bit, maybe to say, God, what's my posture need to look like to truly be in a more alignment with you? Maybe allow that to happen a little bit today. Because trust me, you want a little God inside you to go out and do the things that God has called you to do. So let's use this last worship song as a way to be ready to go out. Because Monday is coming. I don't get to put the buzz light bulb flashlight costume on anymore, which is okay. It's Tyvek. It's really hot. 
but I'm still no less called. It's just different, as are you. So let's stand up and let's sing. We'll bring the band back up and let's get a little undignified and sing out this song together.